Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. All right. Thanks for joining me today, Jim. Um, For today's conversation, I have to admit that nothing in the recent headlines is what prompted this episode. Instead, um, I've had actually quite a few conversations in the um, recent weeks regarding several Christian-like faiths that are commonly believed by many to be just different branches or different denominations of Christianity when in truth would actually be identified as cults by Orthodox Christianity. And that's a strong word. So I hope we can talk about about why, if that is an appropriate word to use a little bit later, but just to clarify what I'm talking about specifically is Mormonism or the church of Latter-day Saints, and then Jehovah's witnesses, also known as the watchtower society. There are so many, I would say veneers of similarities between Christianity with these faiths, which is why it can be confusing as to where it is that they drift apart and why those areas of disagreement are not just mere denominational divides, but rather disagreements to such an extent that they would be considered different religions altogether. And then you throw in the additional layer of confusion and that Jehovah's Witnesses would self-identify as Christians. And you'll see why I say that this matters. Well, cer- certainly, certainly Mormons would. Oh, Mormons would. I'm sorry, Mormons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So as a quick side note, though, for those of you who listen are listening, if you did not get a chance to listen to our podcast episode on Christian den- denominations, I hope you'll do that because I think it'll provide kind of a great context for what a Christian denomination truly is and what defines it. But let's go ahead and jump in because when I was sh- and I, when I was trying to think about how to organize today's conversation in a way that avoids jumping around too much, I thought. How about we just talk about one faith and then we'll talk about the other, and then we can maybe talk about some tension points with Christianity and then the implications of that tension. Does that work for you? It does. Great. Okay. So let's start with the older of the faiths, if only just slightly, and that's Mormonism. So can you tell us a little bit about the origins of Mormonism and essentially the initial disagreement that inspired its founder to take a divergent path from that of mainstream Christianity. In fact, I would say that I'm, I'm going to let you explain. So I'll stop in just a minute. But yeah, would- because the cynic would say there wasn't at all. It was just a fraudulence, you know, a con man right. who was at well, the heart I, of it. So, yeah, so well, anyway, let's just walk through it. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And again, I don't want to, I, I, let's just walk through the text. First of all, both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are American religions. I mean, they're thoroughgoing American religions. Both were started in the 1800s. So they're relatively new on the cultural scene. Um, They both had charismatic founding leaders. Uh, They both have a shared view of salvation. They both have, they challenge the Bible or the authority of the Bible. Uh, They both have a very checkered history. Um, But focusing in on Mormons, Mormons were organized by Joseph Smith along with five others back in 1830. And um, he believed or said he believed or put forward this idea that authentic Christianity was gone by the time of Constantine in the early 300s, and that everything since then just wasn't authentic Christianity uh, until restored by him and and restored by uh, the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, he had his first vision, he claimed, in 1820 at the ripe age of 14, and um, that founding vision at, when he was 14 uh, 
told him that all religions in the world were wrong. All of them were wrong. And uh, and then later he was delivered, he said, these golden plates uh, from uh, that became known as the Book of Mormon. They were delivered to him by the angel Moroni. And uh, they're called the Book of Mormon because in Mormon theology or thinking uh, in Joseph Smith's presentation of it, uh, Moroni's father, angels have children in, in Mormon thinking, was named Mormon. And so Moroni brought the place, but his father was Mormon. They called it the Book of Mormon. And so uh, there was the Book of Mormon is, has some interesting thoughts and ideas, largely that you know, one of the heart of it is, is that um, the Indians, American Indians, were descendants of the Jews who migrated here and, um, and uh, developed a vast civilization, 30, 40 major, huge civilizations and cities and empires. And uh, as late as 400 AD, which will be relevant in a minute because um, in terms of archaeological evidence. Right. So uh, so as late as 400 AD. Um, in 1830, he published the Book of Mormon, 5,000 copies, later had it copyrighted. And uh, people began to follow him as a spiritual leader. And he began this 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 church. Uh, originally, when the Book of Mormon came out, people asked to see the plates that he translated them from. And he said that he had already returned them to the angel Moroni. Um, and uh, but others began to see him as a prophet and work through him as a prophet. And um, there was a lot of persecution of the early Mormons. Uh, many would say for good reason. There, there wasn't necessarily for, for um, there were there were two reasons why they were persecuted and there were mobs and violence against them. Is because one, they openly embraced polygamy, which was seen as terribly immoral by the Christians of the day, the religious folk of the day. Uh, Joseph Smith had uh, 40 wives himself. And so they openly embraced polygamy and taught polygamy, which was seen as an immoral abomination at the time. Mm. And it actually still is uh, largely condemned throughout the world. And also that it, they were a threat to society. A lot of people don't know that Joseph Smith actually ran for president of the United States. And he ran on a platform of developing a Mormon theocracy that would oversee all non-Mormons, but with Mormons in charge. Not exactly a popular political stance. So they were, you know, not popular and were run out of New York. And um, uh, three years after, and we'll get into this, um, supposedly Moroni delivered the golden plates. Uh, Smith was charged with fraud claiming that he could translate certain things, very similar to what he said he was translating the Golden Place, but he, in a, another confidence scheme, he was charged with fraud, he was convicted of that. Um, but anyway, Smith was later arrested and he was uh, killed by a mob at the age of 38. There was a new leader named Brigham Young who decided that there was no place for them to go except someplace where they could start their own world. They could start their own little, they're, they're gathering their own little community of free from the world so that no one would, they could believe what they wanted to believe, practice what they wanted to practice, do what they wanted to do. So they went to a place at a time was so desolate. Nobody else was there. Um, Salt Lake city <laughs> and uh, Utah. <laughs> so they went almost like their own promised land led by a uh, guy by the name is uh, Brigham Young, as I mentioned, and uh, led them to Utah. And that's why Brigham Young university. I mean, it carries his name. If you ever wondered why, you know, BYU in Utah is named after Brigham Young, this Mormon leader that led the Mormons to Utah. And there's still millions of Mormons living in Utah today. It's quite a concentration. So that's a bit of its history. Today, I think it numbers around 6 million uh, folk. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's something of its, of its background. Okay. Well, let's talk about modern day Mormonism, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, modern day Mormonists more would distance themselves 
from Joseph Smith. Um, but so I'm interested to, to kind of find out what are its core beliefs then? Um, maybe you could talk about some of the most, I mean, there's a lot of things, but maybe you could talk about some of the most important doctrinal beliefs, perhaps regarding who God is or who Jesus is and um, what our relationship to God is like. I don't know if they've distanced themselves from Joseph Smith. That would be news to me. And they may not like some of the, the parts of, of his story that are hard you know, to get out there. But I mean, he's the founder of the religion, the one that the angel appeared to, and he's their prophet. And, and in fact, they teach, and one of the things that I'll get into is that uh, nobody gets into heaven unless Joseph Smith says so. Joseph Smith actually is the one who holds the keys to heaven. So I don't know that they've distanced themselves from him in that way. Um, they certainly distance themselves from polygamy, um, in fact, um, and and on some race issues. And I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about both of those before we get into more beliefs since I brought them up. <laughs> it's not exactly sequential, but um, uh, polygamy was outlawed and when and and but in, fully embraced by Mormons. And when Utah wanted to become a state, uh, they were quite frankly told, unless you stop polygamy, we're not going to accept Utah as a state. Interestingly, as soon as they got that word, the prophet leading the Mormon church had a vision that polygamy was no longer to be practiced on earth, just in heaven. So they do believe it's going to be practiced in heaven. And so then they immediately applied for statehood and got it. Now, some obviously would look at that cynically, but that that was historically what happened. Um, you can't be a state. Oh, all of a sudden I get a vision and okay, now you can be a state. The same thing um, in many ways happened in 1978 with race. A lot of people don't know that up to 1978, a black person could not enter the priesthood, could not hold leadership in the Mormon church. And that was because they believed that the black people uh, you know, around the world, African-Americans and American, all blacks were, uh, were black because they carried the, the mark of Cain. Mm -hmm. um, and they were, uh, they were being punished. They were cursed. And that's why they were black. And so they couldn't have any kind of significant role in the life of the church. Uh, that was an enormous amount of pushback on that. And then in 1978, another of, of their prophets had a, a vision that said, no, Black people now are, are welcome. Um, here, here are the major, but again, that was up until 1978 uh, that they held that, um, that, that type of um, racial view. Main, some of the main ideas of Mormon um, that are shocking even to most Mormons. You know, one of the things when you talk with Mormons, they don't even know really their own theology. Right. One is you can become a God. They are not monotheists. They are polytheists. They believe in multiple gods running around the landscape, and they're going to be one of them. And so you can become a God. They reject the Trinity wholeheartedly. They, they, be, they believe Jesus was the physical son of God and not simply just the physical son of God. He was born on earth by a physical God having sexual intercourse with Mary. Um, and they believe that God himself was just a human who just got a head start in evolving. And so as, as, and they have a famous line, as man is, God once was, as God is, man will be. Mm -hmm. um, they believe you're saved through works, not by grace, works. Uh, no one enters heaven unless Joseph Smith says so. Um, it's led by apostles who can receive visions that change Mormon doctrine and practice in any way. Um, and the Bible is only correct insofar as it is correctly translated and they do the translating. So they, they, they put the Bible under them. It's like, it's not authoritative just to the degree that we say it is authoritative hmm. and where, um, and then they added scriptures 
the Book of Mormon, obviously, and then two others, the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants. And so those are some of its, its major beliefs, which obviously has an enormous amount of tension that you can imagine uh, with the Christian faith. Sure. Uh, for example, teaching in direct contradiction to historic Christian faith in the Bible. There's another tension is that there's, there's uh, I mentioned how the Book of Mormon holds that there was this vast civilization in America made up of Indians who were descendants of Jews. First of all, there's absolutely no proof whatsoever that Indians were descendants of Jews. Um, and second of all, that these vast civilizations, massive cities, huge empires that existed as late as 400 AD, um, you'd have archaeological evidence, sure. just like you can go and find ones that are a lot earlier than that in terms of Mexico, and you see where the Aztecs and others were, and you can go to Machu Picchu in Peru and all these things. Um, in America, nothing. I mean, we're not talking scant evidence. We're talking nothing, mm -hmm. nothing. And that's it, it, it's, it's an archaeological impossibility that you would have vast civilizations on American soil as late as 400 AD and not even have one shred of evidence, not one brick, not one imprint, not one anything. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Um, you also have the character of the founder. I mentioned he was found guilty of fraud and he was known as a confidence trickster. Um, and a lot of what he was convicted of fraud at were the very things that he were kind of were part of you know, the Mormon faith and how he said the golden plates came. And, um, and so, and, and, I'm, and again, uh, that wouldn't be the first time that somebody used religion to make money and to gain, you know, prestige or power or position. Um, there's plagiarism in the Book of Mormon, horrific plagiarism, in fact, of almost a comical nature. One of the things that he said is that he said that, that it was translated from an ancient Egyptian language. Mm -hmm. And yet there's, I think it's like 27,000 instances where he took the King James Version and put it into the Book of Mormon and just literally just lifted it out, King James Version, King James English, yeah. and put it in the Book of Mormon with all of the stuff that went with it, but said that he translated it from ancient Egyptian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. Some of this is just, is, is yeah. just uh, you're surprised it ever passed a sniff test. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the supposed witnesses to the golden plates, of which in every Book of Mormon, you'll see their names at the very beginning, that they were witnesses to the plates. Uh, all of them denied witnessing anything. All, all the names mentioned, they all said, we never saw anything. So there's a, there's a lot there that is uh, concerning. Well, okay, so I'm kind of with you of like, just, I mean, there's not really archaeological support of this. I mean, there's, yeah, there's just a lot of question marks for me. So I'm kind of wondering, so what is it? What is the source, source of authority then for Mormons? Like what, where do their theology and practices, what are, where are they sticking a stake in the ground saying like, this is, uh, uh, on, on this, we hold our beliefs? Okay, I'm going to give you two answers to that. Okay. I'm going to give you the first, a technical one. Then I'm going to give you one that's my own opinion. Uh, but I'll give you some background for it that uh, I'm not even sure you know about me Ooh, okay um there's a lot you don't know <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm increasingly learning more yeah, i know <laughs> the nature of being a private person or wanting to um the the the, the authoritarian authoritarian authoritative sources of mormonism are as i mentioned the book of mormon and the pearl of great price and the doctrine and covenants those three written things and then the apostles uh the group of apostles that are the ultimate spiritual authority and can, uh, you know, convey visions from God and, and, you know, literally what they say goes. I mean, it's far beyond the Pope. I mean, it's just like, this is, this is the revelation of God. 
Um, their practices, and particularly their, their secret rituals, um, and you know, if you've heard things like they wear special underwear, it's true, they do. They have special holy underwear that they wear. And uh, for and um, there's their temple rituals are kept shrouded in secret. Their weddings are kept in secret, and all of that that happen are in secret. Um, but most of those practices are based on Freemasonry. And uh, Joseph Smith took much of, if almost all, of Mormon ritual, and it's straight from the Masons. And we could have another conversation about the Masons, <laughs> and they've they've got their own stuff. But uh, so, um, but Freemasonry is 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 the basis of that. But now let me give you another thing that I think holds Mormonism together. You may not know I lived in Utah for five years, oh. and uh, in Salt Lake City, a suburb of Salt Lake City called Bountiful, and it was an interesting. It was during my. Um, uh, late boy, my middle of my boyhood, uh, we left right after I completed eighth grade. So late elementary and then all of middle school was spent in Utah. And one of the things that I can tell you certainly then, and, um, is that you either converted, if you lived there, you converted to Mormonism or you, you, you doggone knew why you didn't. It was the cultural pressure was, was freakish and, and, and the hold of on that area was, was freakish. And, um, and very, and, and you, 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 to be a Mormon was not theological. It was, it was, it was societal. It was cultural. It was sociological. You throw a rock and hit the average Mormon and, and they wouldn't know any of the beliefs that we just went over. Hmm. It was, it was, it was a way of life. It was family and it was family night and it was keeping up food reserves, which they believed in doing. And, and it was, it was being clean cut and it was not smoking and it was not having caffeine and it was, uh, or, or drinking alcohol. It was, it was going to, it was the temple. It was, it was, it was going to your stake, your local, you know, what they would call a church. And, 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 and you would, you would, it was, it was a way of life, much like maybe an Amish person or, or, or someone like they, they, it was a way of life and less a doctrinal creed. And it was so insular and and uh, in Utah that you just were to be raised a Mormon to say you were Mormon meant more of a way of life. It meant more like I was so it meant more like Utah and 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 these cultural things. It's almost like saying I, I was a Southerner, you know, or or I'm a Northerner, or I I I you know some other kind of cultural identity in which you were raised. Uh, much like uh, today, you might say someone was was raised a Jew in Jewish culture in New York and all that that meant, but they themselves would not be a practicing Jew. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's really what holds a lot of Mormonism together is just kind of a basically good life and uh, trying to live a clean life and, and, and all these cultural trappings of pro-family and, and pro-marriage and lots of kids and, and, and throwing a little God. And, uh, and, and in many ways, I think that's that's what is the attraction of Mormonism and what holds a lot of Mormonism together. It's, it's, it's cultural more than it is theological. Well, and I think it is those external manifestations that you just mentioned um, that not only draw people to Mormonism, but also are how most people understand Mormonism, you know? And I think that to be honest, there's a lot to admire about that. Like, I think you, I think some might say, well, okay, maybe we have, our theology is slightly different from, I, you would say more than slightly, but um, the way that they live out their faith, the manifestation of their faith seems to be, you know, 
almost more helpful in a lot of cases than the way that most Christians live out their faith. It so, shouldn't be, but it, but you're right. Right. So does uh, that count for something? Well, <laughs> well, um, you you know, there's no doubt that uh, family life and married life, the, a wholesome life can be appealing and, and people who are family starved or come from dysfunctional families or people who, who, um, you know, just look at what they have and they just say, wow, it just seems like such a sweet way of doing life. And everybody likes everybody and loves everybody and very family and all this. And, and it is, it's a, it, it's, it's kind of a Norman Rockwell painting. Mm -hmm. uh, but lifestyle isn't truth. Um, atheists can be very philanthropic. Um, but what does that mean about the validity of atheism, for example? or even what ultimately atheism can give you. Um, and so one of the things that I, I, I found about Mormonism, both experientially and personally, is that on the surface, there's an awful lot there that can be appealing from a cultural standpoint, but beneath it, there's not a lot, there's nothing there. It, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, a way of life, but there's nothing, there's, no, there's not, you really won't find something like a personal dynamic with Christ or a personal relationship or a sense of those kinds of things or, or life built on grace. And, and it's, it's do's and don'ts, it's works and deeds, which can very quickly become legalism. And it is very legalistic. There are certain things that you do. And, and, and one of the things about Mormonism is that, yes, as long as I, I can, I can treat my wife like crap, but as long as we don't get divorced, we're good. Yeah. You know, as, and as long as we, you know, go to church or make these appearances, or I don't do these things and everything's good. And so it's, it's a coat of paint and it's not changed from the inside out. Um, it's not that there's not a lot of good people who are Mormons, but I mean, it's just that it's, it's, it's not a life-giving, anything built on legalism, anything built on works is not life-giving, it's life-taking. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be careful that just because somebody makes really good commercials, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that there's truth or vitality that's really there. Um, and so I, I wouldn't call them and we'll get into like cult and stuff like that later, perhaps, because I do think that what we're getting ready to talk about is a cult. I wouldn't call Mormons a cult. I would call them a counterfeit. I would call them a non-Christian sect. Uh, you know, they're, they're certainly not Christian, but sociologically, they don't function as a cult, unlike Jehovah's Witnesses who do. Okay, let's talk about Jehovah's Witnesses then. Okay, segue. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, so can you, let's start, I guess, the same way we did with Mormonism. Can you right. talk about the origin of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, it was founded by a guy named Charles, uh, Charles Russell in the late 1800s. Um, and uh, basically, it's an end of world kind of, he, the way he got his attention was making predictions about the end of the world. Uh, 1874, 1878, 1914, 1941, the last was in 1975. And then they stopped making predictions and said they never did make predictions, which is one way out of it. But they kept predicting the end of the world and it just never happened. But it would get people exercise, it would draw people to their, their way of thinking. And, um, and uh, so it was, uh, uh, so that's something of its background. It was very much an end of the world kind of come to us. We can get into its beliefs, but it, it's, it's, yeah. Okay, well, um, let's talk about the sacred text of Jehovah's Witnesses, because it is the Bible. Um, they do hold the Bible to be the highest authority of their faith, just like we would. Um, but gosh, and I hope I don't sound like I'm nitpicking here, but I do think we have to talk about the differences because there are differences. Yeah, <laughs> we need to talk about the differences because that's not um, nitpicking at all. That's okay, major. Good. 
So can you explain like, what is the difference between the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible? And then, you know, what would be Christian denom- or Christian translations of the Bible? Yeah, they would have, they would almost say that what we have as a Bible is not a Bible. I mean, it's only, they're only correct is theirs. And it's called the new world translation. And um, let's, let's go back to what a translation is. And um, a translation of a Bible is a team of scholars trained in Greek, Hebrew, and 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 some Aramaic too, because that's in there. Uh, but trained linguists—they've given their life. They're PhDs. They've, you know, they got their undergrad, their masters, their PhD. They've they've been in research. They've given their life to languages and translation and knowing these things. And there's these team of experts go to the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts of the Bible, of which we have extensive, startling amounts to work from. Uh, and in terms of the Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, and um, and they translate those original manuscripts into contemporary English. And periodically, there are fresh translations because not because things have changed with the original Greek or Hebrew manuscripts, but because the English language has changed. Mm-hmm. And so our words don't always mean the same as they did, or there's our our language is changing. So we need to go back, and this is how you would best capture that in the way we talk today in terms of Greek. Not the Jehovah's Witnesses. Their new world translation is 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 not done by a team of experts or linguists or people trained or any of those kinds of things. Their goal is to take scripture, what scripture clearly says, and they change it to fit watchtower teachings and watchtower ideas. And so everything from the Trinity, the identity of Jesus, to all these things, all the things that they would hold to, which again, we can get into, they they just have gone through and they've just changed it. I mean, not based on Greek, not based on Hebrew, just just they've just gone through and rewritten the Bible in their own image and and, and so that it says what they want it to say. And so it's it's uh it's startling the 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 pluck it took to do something like that. Yeah. Um but uh that's that's in essence what that distinctive is. Okay, so what then are some of the central yeah. doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, it it again, I think this is going to be a, a startling to many Christians. Um, they don't believe Jesus is, you know, God, the son, second person of the Trinity. They believe actually Jesus is Michael, the archangel. Mm-hmm. So Michael, the archangel is Jesus. Um, and um, they believe that Jesus was not resurrected from the dead. There was no resurrection. I mean, the heart of the Christian faith, just right there, the heart of the Christian faith, the resurrection is completely rejected by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they don't believe the Holy Spirit is a person, certainly not the third person of the Trinity and not a person, just an impersonal force, uh, an energy field. There is only one translation of the Bible that is that is acceptable, accurate, authoritative, which we've talked about. And only 144,000 are saved. That's it, 144,000. And then if you're lucky, you might get to, if you're not in the 144,000, you might get to live on earth, which is lesser than heaven, but you might, some get to live on earth, but the vast majority are just annihilated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no, there is no eternal life. There is no ongoing soul. There's nothing. You just, you're annihilated. Um, and so uh, they, there's other things that uh, are interesting about them um, that are more, um, they, they, they completely, uh, no one should get higher education. Mm-hmm. which is also a mark of a cult, but you shouldn't be educated. Um, and uh, I think the farthest they want anyone to go is eighth grade. Mm. Um, so no higher, all higher education is forbidden. Uh, 
Um, you're not allowed to read anything outside of Jehovah's Witness material. You're not allowed to Google anything, search anything, research anything. You might expose yourself to something. And so they, they, they want to keep you uh, in their, their, their mind control. Um, it, it's, it's commonly known that blood transfusions are forbidden by Jehovah's Witnesses. They take a very obscure Old Testament reference um, about not eating blood. And then they take that into you can't medically have any kind of blood transfusion, which is not at all what that text was. It was a, the text that they're pointing to is really one about don't eat an animal alive before it's been you know properly cooked. And there was part of the Jewish ceremonial laws and other laws, uh, Jewish dietary rules, which we now know was a pretty good rule because you'll get worms. <laughs> but anyway, um, but uh, they take that and, and make it in this elaborate no blood transfusion which has led to several court cases where uh, hospitals have filed injunctions uh, with child welfare so that a child doesn't die for lack of a blood transfusion. And um, they also don't believe in celebrating any holidays. I mean, no Christmas, no Mother's Day, no Thanksgiving, no nothing, just no, no celebration of any holidays whatsoever. So they've, they've got a lot of that kind of stuff added onto their fairly, I mean, obviously very strongly non-Christian beliefs. Well, and they're very adamant about the use of Jehovah. I mean, it's Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you know a little bit about that? Like where? Because that's the name of God. That's the right name. And of course, now we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not even, not even, I mean, I mean, it, it, that was a, um, uh, there, the, the name of God that we have that's in Exodus 3.14, when, when Moses asked for God's name um, and God gave it to him, he said, I am. It was the tetragrammaton, uh, four consonants. It was so holy that the the uh, Jews would not even fill in the consonants. But the best that we could tell, it was it was a J H W H, and but we now believe that the consonants were A and E, and it would be pronounced Yahweh. Mm -hmm. But early on, before we got some of those better understandings, it was thought, well, it's pronounced Jehovah, and it's not. It's Yahweh is the closest that there is. But they they insist on the the Jehovah as supposedly the, the, the name of God, which it, it, it isn't based on Exodus 3.14. Hmm. Now, when we, we were talking about with Mormonism that, you know, there is maybe underneath the surface, not as much to applaud, but they certainly, there's a Mormon morality that is very attractive. Um, and I think that it's right to, to say about Jehovah's Witnesses, that there is a degree of fervor within um, Jehovah's Witnesses um, and their how they live out their faith that is intense. I mean, their, their study of the Bible, the frequency which, with, they with which they attend kingdom hall gatherings, the hours that they log for evangelism, like that is, that's not a small ask at all. So, I mean, do you think, I don't know, I'm just curious as to what your reflections are about that. I mean, should we look at that fervor as Christians and think, man, like they put us to shame or is it like with Mormonism where, okay, maybe there's something else to investigate there? Two things. One, um, if, if, if you belong to, if you adhere to a faith that is salvation by works, then by golly, you, you're going to work. <laughs> I mean, if it literally, they've got to put in Jehovah's Witnesses, if only 144,000 make heaven. Wow. Mm -hmm. Think of how many Jehovah's Witnesses there have been since the late 1800s, including today. I got a lot of people I got to beat. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot. And so, and you're supposed to put in a certain number of hours, sell a certain number of books, put in a certain number of hours, knock on door to door. And then all of that is reported 
part of the cult-like activity, then reported, and then is filed in the headquarters in Brooklyn, New York, and um, and and which is also where people can report you and say bad things about you. That's also recorded in in your file. So, uh, you know, in one sense, you 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 can be put to shame with their hard work, but in the other sense, you can really feel sorry for them because they're just working so hard out of fear, and out of necessity, and out of not not like like desperation, really, in 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 countless ways. Now, but I I will say this: both Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, we believe that we're saved by grace, not by works. They both believe you're saved by works, not by grace. Um. So while that's wrong, um, we can hold to a cheap grace mm -hmm. that has no implications for works. And that's not right. Yeah. You know, as James says, what good is faith without deeds? And so, it, you know, it, 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 it's like, uh, while they're theologically wrong and askewed, I do think that there's a sense where, um, okay, we may not need to put in a certain number of hours a week, but have we shared our faith with anyone this week? Mm. Uh, have we, have we made, you know, we're not Mormons, but have we, have we, and we're saved by grace, but are we the implications of grace in terms of how I treat my, my wife and, and invest in family and, 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 and try to, to do, you know, good things. Is that, is that there? And so um, Bonhoeffer famously talked about a cheap grace and and how uh, and James in the New Testament talks about a cheap grace, and and so if grace is authentic in our life, if we've really drunk deeply from the well of grace, and we're in a vibrant, ongoing relationship with Christ, and He's and the Holy Spirit is active in our life, and we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit, then the the the, the good deeds will flow, sure. works will flow, and so there is every. Um, sense where if they aren't flowing, you have a right to question the legitimacy of the grace that, you know, to begin with. Yeah. So I, I think that's a takeaway. Mm. I appreciate that. Well, um, you have mentioned a couple of times that you would call Jehovah's Witnesses a cult, even if you wouldn't call Mormonism a cult. Can you define what you mean by cult then? You know, a cult in the classic sociological sense is mind control, the use of shunning if you leave, Ronnie, remove you from your family, keep you from being exposed to anything that would speak against or allow you to find information about that cult. Um, uh, and so, um, you know, unable to read outside, uh, you know, uh, literature and, and, and spying on each other and turning people in, all the classic marks of a cult, okay? Mm -hmm. You don't have that in Mormonism. You have it in Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I would say that if you were going to use these kind of, you know, Christian cult or counterfeit, uh, I would say that Mormonism is counterfeit. Jehovah's Witness is a cult. Mm. Neither are Christian. Mm. And so I, I do think that would be the distinction that, that I, would, I would make. Well, just for our listeners' sake, I mean, gosh, we barely touch, scratch the surface on all there is to talk about um, with regards to Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. But I think our goal was essentially just to distinguish um, what are uncommon, uncommonly known beliefs about these two faiths. Did, okay. did yeah, I, I, yeah. Before you wrap up, I, I do want to say one thing because I, I, I feel like um, in in some of the presentation of some of the things that I've said. Um, well, while, while 
accurate and true and, and important for Christians, um, I, I want to make sure that people hear my heart for Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, because that's, that's I'm talking to you. I'm assuming that we're basically talking to a, a largely Christian audience. This isn't the way I would talk about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses if I was talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Hmm. I wouldn't be as, you know, I would, I would, I would do a better job of, you know, my thinly veiled cynicism and 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 other things because because I, because it does invite it. I mean, really, when you look at it intellectually, it does invite it. But um, these are these are people who matter to God. They're they're good, well-intentioned people. They often were raised in that faith. They don't. They've not been allowed to be exposed to um, anything that would challenge it. I don't believe that a Christian should invite a Jehovah's Witness in their home when they knock on the door. That's not the time to talk to them or witness to them. They are highly, highly trained to turn a seasoned believer into a pretzel using the scripture inside of 10 minutes. And so unless you're, you're, you're highly trained yourself to know about Jehovah's Witnesses and their, their approaches, I mean, it's just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't invite a, a trained cultist into your house. Let me just put it that way. Um, it uh, doesn't mean that you don't reach out to them evangelistically. I just wouldn't do it that way. And and but what I would say to anyone who is a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, uh, a Jehovah's Witness obviously is not going to hear me right now. They would be forbidden to watch this podcast or to listen to it. They wouldn't be allowed. I wish that wasn't the case. But if there's somebody who's sneaking around, okay, do your homework. Yeah. Uh, start investigating it. See if the things that I've said are true. See if it holds up. I mean, they're not hard to authenticate. So just see for yourself, learn about it. Mormons, the same thing. And for a Mormon, I would say that everything that you love about the Mormon lifestyle and marriage and family and wholesome, good living and all these kinds of things is, is not something unique to Mormonism. It's a, I mean, it's at the heart of the Christian faith, uh, obviously. And um, I would just simply say that you need to reflect on, on, on well, like what you like and what you're drawn to about Mormonism is Christianity. And what you're holding on to within Mormonism theologically is not Christianity. And I would just encourage a Mormon to, again, reflect very seriously on this. I mean, you're, you're, you've got so much in place. Discard that, which is, has nothing to do with the Christian faith, mm. and embrace the authentic Christian faith. And um, um, because there, there is a real Jesus. He's not who you've been told he is. There are real scriptures you haven't that you have not been told where they are. There is real salvation by grace, and it's not by works, and um, and there is a real relationship with life change from the inside out. And and I would just, um, you know, I, I I would love to to nudge Mormons over the line, clean them up theologically, and get them into the fold. But I would say to both parties, I mean, do your work on this, you know. Do your work on this. And for Mormons, it's theological for Jehovah's, I mean, mostly, and, and for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's, gosh, just, just realize that you are in a cult and, and, and um, with all the trappings of it. Mm. This has been so helpful. Um, and so I appreciate Jim, that your background knowledge on all of this. So thank you for sharing that with us. And just even as a Christian, I appreciate how you brought in the idea of cheap grace. I feel like there's a big takeaway there for us as well in terms of how we manifest, you know, the faith that we hold so dearly. So thank you again. And thank you guys for listening. And we hope to have you join us again next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.